Sheep Among Wolves. Sheep Among Wolves is about a documentary about the underground church in Iran. And a lot of researchers say it might be the fastest growing church in the world today. And I was um, particularly challenged and excited to hear that this movement is particularly and specifically led by women. <laughs> women leaders are stepping up and in tremendous courage and fearlessness going to some of the most difficult, dangerous places. And there is a renewal revival taking place. And the incredible thing is, it is a discipleship-focused movement. Hear this. There are no church buildings to speak of. There, there are no pastors. There are no programs. There are not all these things that we in America rely on and depend on for there to be ministry. And yet, without any of these things, there are people coming to know Jesus and and staking their lives to follow him. I was particularly um, um, uh, caught in terms of my attention at, 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 at some, some of the things that a prominent leader in this movement said. And I want to quote some of these things to you. There's a mass exodus of people leaving Islam for Christianity. And this leader says, what if I told you that Islam is dead? What if I told you that the mosques, and, uh, mosques are empty in Iran? What if I told you no one follows Islam inside of Iran? This is exactly what is happening inside of Iran. God is moving powerfully inside Iran. Many of the ruling class still follow Islam because that's where the high paying jobs are. But the majority of the ordinary people love God and recognize that Islam is the problem. And for decades, the Ayatollahs have tried to destroy Christianity. But as we've seen throughout church history, Wherever there's persecution, guess what happens to the church? The church grows. Read the book of Acts. Wherever there's persecution of the church, the church grows. There is a refining thing that happens. And listen to what he says. What persecution did was destroy the church that were not disciples and destroy the church that were about converts. All these church planters found out that converts run away from persecution, but disciples would die for the Lord in persecution. So our model in Iran is that we don't convert to disciple, but we disciple so we can convert. In other words, I think they get Matthew 28 right. You know, say to people, come, here's the easiest thing I can say for you to believe in Jesus, and then we're going to get serious. No, you walk with them through the challenges and the reality of following Jesus and pray that they would say, I want to follow him. And then he says this, it's, it is obedience-based discipleship. It's based on the authority of scripture, and every time you read the scripture, you must obey it. This is how people become conformed to the image of Christ and be sanctified. I hope that strikes you as it strikes me, because remember, this is what our series has been. We are educated well beyond our obedience in America. There's so much head knowledge and very little actual living out of our faith that many of us remain spiritual babies. There is, there is an interview uh, of a couple, and this is, for me was the most powerful, who left Iran to come to America. And, and, and while they were in America, the wife looked at the husband and said, I don't want to stay here. I want to go back to Iran. 
where there might be persecution, so on and so forth. And here's what she said. He said, in America, there is a satanic lullaby here. All the Christians are sleepy, and I'm feeling sleepy. This woman is saying that the greatest threat to my spiritual life is not persecution and maybe death in Iran. The greatest threat to my spiritual life is spiritual apathy in this country. I don't even know what to do with that. Except maybe be convicted. Because this is the air that we breathe, church, here in this country. And if we're not rigorously honest about it, I don't know if we can move forward. Can I get an amen? Like we have to be honest about the air that we breathe. And then lastly, the church leader says, only church in Revelation, the only church in Revelation, book of Revelation, that is, that is not critiqued by Jesus was under persecution and suffering. He says, if freedom is such a great thing for the kingdom, <laughs> then why is Europe and America in the state that they're in? See, when we walk outside, we don't care if we get arrested. We're not upset if we get arrested. Because what is 50 years in prison compared to eternity with Jesus? I, I don't know about you, but I need, I need, I need reminders from the global church of what it means to follow Jesus. I need reminders, and this is why for some of us, we need to like get out. We need to get out. We need to get out of this country. We need to get out of our neighborhoods. We need to get out of the comfortable, com I'm speaking to myself, zones that we're in to see what it is because in the land of comfortable cultural Christianity, the normal looks radical. In the land of casual, comfortable cultural Christianity, the ordinary looks extraordinary. Even as I'm saying this, I'm like, Peter, are you really preaching this sermon? I say this all the time, in America, in Chicago, to these people. I have to, because when I read the New Testament, you guys, hear me. Jesus doesn't say, here's a teaching for ordinary Christians, and then here's a teaching for extraordinary Christians. Jesus doesn't say, here's a teaching for disciples, and then here's a teaching for whatever else you call. He says, there is only one. He says, if anyone would, what? Come after me. See, when I read the New Testament, when I read the Gospels anew, and I hope you're doing that throughout the sermon series, Jesus's, Jesus's challenge is clear. There's no mistake in it. He says, come follow me. It's not believe in me. It's not, you know, uh, place your faith. Those are part of it, but he says, come follow me. It's whole life commitment to the whole person of Jesus. Whole life commitment. And, and the, thing that I, the thing that I noticed in the gospel, I said this last week, is this, I, I, Jesus is upfront about the cause. He doesn't hide it. He does, there's no fine print. You know what I'm saying? There's no fine print like we live in this country today. Like you sign on to something and you're like way at the bottom and small tiny layers of fine print. Jesus doesn't say to people, come follow me and you could have life, have life to the full. And then he turns to the disciples and go, and then there's this carry the cross thing too. He says, no, if anybody wants to come after me, I'm going to be upfront about it. 
He says, he says, deny yourself. He says, carry the cross. He, is, he says, make me your one and only. He says, there's no competition, no allegiance. He says, go all in, go all in. Or other words, this thing, or in other words, this thing doesn't work. He's constantly saying, this is what it means to follow me. And I've said this throughout this sermon series, you will not know the joy of serving Jesus, loving Jesus, being in relationship with Jesus until you go all in. Why? Because you will not know that Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. All the things that you and I are out there searching for, looking for, while trying to follow Jesus, the moment of truth at some point has to come when we go, I choose you or nothing. And it's at that point that we realize Jesus is life. Jesus is joy. Jesus is fulfillment. Jesus is what I'm looking for. Do you think anybody needs to tell these Iranian brothers and sisters that Jesus is all they need? Why? Because he's all they have. They're saying, I'm going all in. There's no plan B. There's no backup plan. Like, you're it. Or there's nothing else. And I don't know about you, but I look at their lives and there's freedom there. There's courage there. There's fearlessness there. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? I want that. I want to be able to have the level of fearless courage and the life that they have in forsaking it all, abandoning it all for the sake of the call. And by the way, this is the only way that we will be able to follow Jesus because at the end of the day, following Jesus is about learning from him. It's about learning from him how to live my life as he would live my life as he filled me. In order for us to follow Jesus, we need to trust him, though. We need to trust that he is life, that he is meaning, that he is purpose, that he is joy. And we don't just trust Jesus with our eternity, but we could trust Jesus to know that he knew what life was like. That's why you can't begrudgingly and sadly go into discipleship. You and I need to come to a moment of decision, moment of clarity that says, it's either you or nothing. I have found in you what I am looking for, so I am going with you. Where you go, I go. What you do, I do. Jesus is constantly bringing us to the moment of clarity, moment of decisiveness in discipleship. Come on, church, where are you this morning? Where am I this morning? Living in this land of comfortable, casual, cultural Christianity, where are we to that command, follow me, follow me? This has simplified things for me in terms of Christian life. This has simplified things for me. In other words, the conversations I've had with some of you throughout this sermon series is, you say, I grew up with the truncated gospel, and so therefore my discipleship was truncated. For example, I hear some of people say, I grew up with the total neglect for issues of justice. Would it be racial justice? That wasn't a part of the gospel, Peter. That wasn't a part of the discipleship. To which I say this, I go, how can we follow Jesus in everything that he said and did and not care about justice and not care about reconciliation, not care about the poor? Does that make any sense? Following Jesus in everything that he said and did, not we, what we 
you know, imposed culturally, what we said and, and, and did would enable us. I was talking to a sister in the church who says, Pastor Peter, I grew up in a church where it was all about holiness. Anybody else grew up in that church? I did. That was me. Be holy. Be holy. It's all about holiness. And a lot of it was behavior modification, all that stuff. And I asked her a question. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, in all that teaching about holiness, did anybody ever equate that with Jesus? Anybody say, follow Jesus with everything that you have, and the inevitable result is a life of holy. No, it's all about God and some rules. And I said, how did we come to this place? We're following Jesus. The one thing that he said, if we follow Jesus, my conviction and everything that he said and did is that our lives will resemble everything that he said and did. Can I get an amen? So let's simply, listen, I said to somebody, I said, whole justice and all that, it's, it's good, and, and, and I, I, I care about it, but listen, if you come to me and you go, we want to do this, and I ask you, tell me how that's about Jesus, and you can't answer it, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. It's not because I don't care. It's because I care too much to know that if you care about justice without Jesus, it will lead to either self-righteousness where you will hurt people in the name of Jesus or you'll burn out. And I care too much about you to let that happen. Anything and everything you care about, if you can't ultimately say it's about Jesus, it's empty. It's empty. And I'm not interested. But if we follow the way of Jesus and everything that he said and did, my goodness, my goodness, the impact that we could make, the impact that we could make. Church, are you with me this morning? Hmm. So this discipleship series, again, just simplifies things for me. And I love the language that's been, that we've been using. Just, are you following Jesus? Hey, Justice, are you following Jesus? James, are you following? Am I following Jesus? Christy, are you following Jesus with everything that you have? following the footsteps of your rabbi, of your master, of your teacher, and everything that he said, and everything that he did, and our lives will result sin. And, and, and where we're at is this, this series, I don't know how long it's going to go. Is that okay? So, so I said, broadly speaking, it's three parts, right? First is a disciple, someone who follows Jesus. is what we've been talking about. And then secondly, what we're going to talk about, a disciple, someone invites others to follow Jesus. And this is what we're going to talk about, making disciples and how that's intricately linked. And then third is we follow Jesus in community. And I think, I think, I think today is last of the first part where I'm going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. I think. I think. Are you... Are you beginning to get what it means to follow him? Are you, are you beginning to get that it's not believe the right things? And are you understanding that this is... <sighs> Today, I, I want to look at someone who went all in. She went all in in terms of following Jesus. She did it gladly, willingly. She went all in. And she's a picture of, I think, what it means to follow him. And I love the fact that we've been talking about dudes and I get to talk about a woman. A woman disciple of Jesus. Who, by the way, if you read the Gospels, pay attention to who's really paying attention to who Jesus is and following him. It's mostly who? It's women. So just real quick, to, to help me with this, I actually asked four ladies on our staff. I said, can you guys take a look at John 12 and tell me what insights you come up with from your perspective? Because I'm a a dude, 
and I bring my perspective to it, which is okay. But their insights were helpful in terms of putting sort of a different take on that. So whatever I share today, you may hear some of their thoughts, okay? So I'm giving them credit. John 12, turn your Bibles with me. You might be familiar with this passage. John 12. Uh, John 11 is story about what? Do you remember? John 11 is the story of the climactic ministry of Jesus, which is the raising of death of Lazarus. John 11 is that incredible story where Lazarus is raised from the, Jesus says, come out, Lazarus, and he comes forth. Like, it's a climactic moment. And what happens in John 12 is that there's an enormous banquet. Maybe, maybe it's appropriate to throw a banquet when somebody, you know, comes back from the dead. I don't know. So in John 12, there is a massive banquet for Jesus. And who's there? Uh, townspeople are there, but the main characters are Martha, of course, is there. And she's very much in character. She's serving and doing stuff. And there's Lazarus there, and there's Mary there, okay? Now, John 12 is just one of other gospel writers. There's Matthew, who also writes about the story in Matthew 26, and also Mark, so there's three gospel writers that give their own take on this story. Well, although we're going to focus on John 12, you need to know that I'm going to be referring to the other gospel writers and, and their insights also add to this story. So let's go look at this story and, find, and see what does it mean to follow Jesus. Eh? Okay. John 12 verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Everybody look up here for a second. I need to give you a visual. So I was in Korea this summer, and in Korea, you go to certain restaurants, and they have tables where you sit in chairs, right? And other restaurants, they don't have that because they don't want to be Western, okay? They want to keep traditional Korean culture. And so what you find is you have tables that are like this high, okay, and there are no chairs. And you basically have to recline like this, okay, or stretch your legs out, or if you're Korean, you could do kind of the, I can't do that because my legs, I grew up here, so my legs aren't flexible, right? So I'm sitting there reclining at the table with my legs out. Well, that was the norm for that Near Eastern culture. They're sitting with their, with, with their arms or shoulders, whatever, leaning against the table, and their legs are, you, you see what I'm saying? Okay, so their legs are, yep. By the way, can you imagine what that conversation was like? Dinner conversation? I, I love thinking about, can you think, Lazarus. Tell us one more time, what was it like? <laughs> He's like, for crying out loud. I said it like a hundred times, all right? I don't know, I was just sitting there and then all of a sudden I hear this faint voice, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come. And then I heard it. And what'd you do? I, I, just, I just walked out. <laughs> Verse three. I could go off some more, but we, we don't have time. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. Other gospel writers said that it cost 300 denarii, a year's worth of wage. A year's worth of wage. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the entire house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. When you came to a public banquet like this, it was perfectly normal to get out some fragrance. Why? This is a time before refrigeration. This is a time before running water. This is a time before deodorant spans. You get in the picture, you guys? So everybody smelled bad. And some of you go, well, they could handle it back then. Stop being a cultural snob. No, they couldn't handle it back then, okay? 
You couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle it back then either. All right? So what do they do? They put fragrance on you. Okay? But when they did, they put a little, what? A little dab. It's enough. But what Mary does is so startling that Mark, we're not going to look at Mark says, the, the group rebuked her harshly. And Matthew says that they were indignant. What she did was so outrageous, so scandalous, that basically the whole room is just yelling at her. What did Mary do that it caused such a ruckus? First, John tells us that she took about a pint of pure nard and she poured it. Everybody look up here. Mark and Matthew, though, make a point of saying before she poured it, poured it she broke the jar. These perfumes oftentimes are contained in a clay jar or a box. And when you broke that thing, the whole thing came out. When you broke that thing, there's no, I'm going to retrieve it. There's no going back. You broke that thing. You were saying once and for all, what? This whole thing is being used. There's no turning back, Jesus. This is it. Secondly, Mark and Matthew point out that it is an alabaster jar. What does that mean? Most likely, see, the thing is, most likely, unless Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were wealthy, this was the most precious thing that they owned. Matter of fact, alabaster jar tells us that it most likely was a family heirloom, meaning at that time, if there was an invasion or war, this was the financial security of the family. You knew that even if you just completely fell apart financially, you didn't starve because you had this. And Mary is taking that. The most precious thing that she owns. Family heirloom. There is no going back. All of it. And she pours it at the feet of Jesus. If she could, she would have sung this hymn. Take my silver and my gold. Not am I would I. Withhold. What Mary is saying is, I'm going to follow you regardless of the cost. Nothing is worth more than you. Nothing, Jesus, is worth losing you for. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time following Jesus caused you to do something that was so outrageous, scandalous, that your friends, your family, other believers said, it's one thing to follow Jesus, but don't you think that's a little too much? It's one thing to move into that neighborhood. Why, why, why though? You could still love them from the suburbs, you know. By the way, I'm not knocking suburbs. All I'm saying is having people who go, I don't understand why you're making that decision. Or what about this? Why, 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 why that much money? Isn't that too generous? Doesn't God say give 10% and be okay with that? 
I know a couple who makes equal amount of money. They decided to give one person's entire salary away to ministry and charity and live on one income. Their family flew to Chicago and said, what are you doing? That's too much. Why are you turning down that job offer? Isn't that what everyone in your field aspires to? Why are you breaking up with her? Weren't you guys engaged? Why are you forgiving him? People like him don't deserve to be forgiven. If we're following him, shouldn't there be some instances in which people go to you and me, listen, it's one thing to be a Christian, but that's a little too much. When's the last time somebody looked at you and said, that's a little outrageous. That's a lot of the time. Has that ever happened to you? Has it ever happened to me? By the way, I love the fact that Mary's act of devotion, shh, blessed the whole house. The entire house, the Bible says, was filled. There's a sermon there, but we don't have time for that. Let's keep going. Following Jesus, here's the first point. That means giving him all that you, what? Have. Why is Jesus saying stuff like, are you willing to count the cost? Why is Jesus constantly saying stuff like, unless you give up everything that you have, you cannot follow me. Because if we're saying, I'll give you everything, Jesus, but that Jesus says, you're not ready to follow me. Why? Because you're already following something or someone. When you say, I will give you everything but that, Jesus says, but that is what you're really following. But that is what you're really after. And the invitation to follow Jesus, we've been saying this in one way or another every week. Jesus says, unless I am not, unless I am Lord of all, I can't be Lord what? At all. He says, I don't play second fiddle to anyone or anything. And be clear, it's not because he's insecure. It's not because he's needy. It's because he wants your freedom. Don't ask, am I happy? Don't ask, what's the pursuit to happiness? None of that matters if you're not free. Ask, am I free? Am I free? Am I free? And Jesus in his mercy and compassion knows that if you have something that is more valuable and worthwhile to him, you are not free. He knows our tendency to take good things and make them God things. And when they become God things, they enslave us. You go, I'm not enslaved, really? Then why are you anxious? Why are you burnt out? Why do you break relationships? Why do you have an eating disorder? Why do you constantly, constantly worry why? You're still not convinced you're enslaved. Jesus says, make me your one and only. Not because I have an ego, I want your freedom. Jesus comes and says, am I the most valuable, worthwhile thing in your life? Is there anything that competes with me? A follower of Jesus says, I will pour everything out in order to follow you, regardless of the cost, because you're worth more than anything. Nothing is worth losing you for. And we've been saying throughout the series, you can do that because we found the pearl of great worth. 
Matthew 13, a follower of Jesus, someone who because he's found the pearl of great worth, he looks at all that he has and he's going, wait, wait, you're telling me if I can give that, if I can get that and all it'll cost is everything that I own? That's a no-brainer. Nothing that I own was worth even the wrapping paper of that treasure. So gladly, joyfully, not begrudgingly, he says, I will sell everything that I have for that. Has that happened to you? Has that happened to me? Because we found the pearl of grape. We found the most valuable, precious, worthwhile thing in the world that we look at everything that we have in our lives and go, that's nothing. That's nothing. Philippians 3, Paul says what? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. A follower of Jesus says, Pursuing Jesus might cost me this relationship, but the loss that I experience in this relationship for Christ is nothing compared to the love relationship that I have in Christ. Money, following Jesus might cost me money. I give money, but what is, what is giving money away compared to the riches and treasure that I have in Christ? Career, somebody says, if you do that and follow Jesus and be that serious, you're not going to move up in the ladder. You're not going to get in with the inner circle that you need to. And a follower of Jesus says, I already have the security that I need in Christ. I don't need that. A follower of Jesus says, I have found the pearl of great price. Is that a, if somebody were to follow you and me for a day, do you think they'd go, oh man, she's found the pearl of great price. If you found the pearl of great price, I'll tell you a couple of things that happens. Real quick before we move on. One, you're willing to take risks. There's courage. There's fearlessness about you. Mary, by doing this, is risking all kinds of things, isn't she? Cultural norms, rebuke, condemnation. But she doesn't care. Ah! I'm reminded of Esther. Do you remember Esther? Queen Esther, who says, who hears from God and says, I need you to go to the king and ask for freedom. But she knows if I go to the king and he doesn't give me pass, I might die. But her words are what? If I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. Why can you say that, Esther? Because I found the pearl of great price. I have something that nothing in this world can ever take away. Is there that kind of fearlessness and courage about you? Is there that kind of courage and fearlessness about us, church? Do you Another thing that happens is you don't just obey, but there's joyful obedience. Oh, man, this so convicted me. There's joyful obedience. How many of us know nothing about joyful obedience? I love this psalm, Psalm 48. I take joy in doing your will. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Is there anything worse than doing the right things for the wrong motive? I'm, I'm going to put myself out here. I'm going to share you an just embarrassing story, real quick embarrassing story of how this has been internally. It just is such a struggle of joyful obedience instead of like the, oh. When I was at Purdue as a college student, I was a, Campus leader, you know, the good Christian leader and started a fellowship, the holy spiritual guy. <laughs> but I was jealous of this dude. Okay, we'll just call him Tom. Tom. He was just, he was just buck wild. He was just, he just partied. He 
girls all the time, girlfriend, girlfriend, just, just, and, and here I was going, I am obeying Jesus. Why? Because I love him. I love, I love Jesus. And the whole time, there's no joy in my obedience. It's all work. It's all duty. It's all obligation. Am I talking to anybody? Is there joy in your obedience, Christian? Is there joy in following? Or are you like me? Why are you obeying? I don't go to hell. Why are you obeying? I don't want to be disapproved. Here's the thing, though. You know what I realized? You can't will your way to joyful obedience. You have to heart your way into joyful obedience. You can't just say no to sin and temptation. You have to find something to say yes to. You have to find something so beautiful, so worthwhile. You're saying, I'm going to say yes to that. If you try and overcome temptation just by saying no and white knuckle your way, you will not succeed. At some point, you got to go, I have found something worthwhile to say yes to. He is so beautiful. And when that happens, trust me, trust me when I say this. Your addictions begin to lose their luster. The sins that constantly call your attention, you can't, you have to find, and you and I have that, and his name is Jesus. Come on, somebody. John Newton, in one of his unknown hymns, our pleasure and duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined apart no more. It's our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love Christ beyond all measure and serve him with our all. Christian, is there joyful obedience? Have you found the pearl of great price to say yes to? The second amazing thing that she does is she puts it on his feet. Why is that not uh, notable? When a Jewish person fell into debt, by the way, whenever you see servant or slavery in the Bible, it's not the race-based evil chattel slavery of this country. It was oftentimes servitude. And what that was was when a Jewish person fell into debt and they couldn't make up the debt, they, de they couldn't declare bankruptcy. This is before the days of bankruptcy. What they had to go do was go into servitude. And when you went into servitude to pay off your debt, you lost many of your rights. But the rabbi said this, if you have a Jewish servant, the servant is not devoid of all rights. There are some things that you cannot ask that Jewish servant to do. And among them was two things. One, you can't ask the servant to untie your shoes. This is why when John the Baptist says what? I'm not even worthy to what? Untie. People are like, what, 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 what? The other thing was not just untie, but deal with the person's feet. That's why the very next chapter in John 13, what is Jesus doing? He's washing what? What is Mary saying? She's saying, Jesus, I know that even servants in our culture have rights, but I give them up. Jesus, I know that there are certain things that you can't even ask a servant to do, but I give up that right. There is nothing that you can't ask of me. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Second thing about following Jesus is 
giving him all of your will. Jesus doesn't just come and say, please pay attention. He doesn't just come and say, deny yourself things. He says, deny your what? Self. Following Jesus, and for us 21st century Americans, this might be one of the most challenging, if not. Jesus says, if you're following me, you're dying to self-determination. You're dying to yourself as authority to make decisions. A follower of Jesus simply says, whatever you ask, I don't even need to know what it is. The answer is yes. I don't obey you because it makes sense to me. I don't obey you because I feel like it. I don't obey you as long as I get to contribute. No, Jesus, the simple answer is yes. Now, what do you want me to do and where do you want me to go? Can I, I have some news for you, Christian. Do you know that if you follow Jesus long enough, he is going to ask you to do something. We're going to be like, what? Can I get an amen? You got, if, if that hasn't happened to you, I don't know if you're following him because here's the reason why. We're following somebody who says, I am coming to usher in a whole different rule, a whole different reign, the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, I upend the values and priorities of the world that you live in. Which means that everything that you look at, race, money, relationships, sex, marriage, everything that you're used to, what I'm going to ask you to do, you're going to go like, that is crazy. But remember that we're following someone who said the climactic point of my career was not when I got elected to office, but when I got crucified on the cross. And he says, if you're going to follow me, I guarantee that what I'm going to ask you to do, you're going to say, that don't make any sense. I don't feel like doing that. One of the stories that I love, and I thought maybe preaching on this, one of the stories that I love in the Gospels is the call of Peter, Simon. And when Peter calls Simon, here's, check, check this out. Okay, I'm going to read the passage. He's been fishing all night. He's a fisherman for a living. That's what he does for a living. He's been fishing all night, right? And Jesus does a teaching. And then Jesus says this to Peter. <laughs> I might preach on this next week. I don't know. Which means we're going to do one more week of what it means to follow him. Luke, Luke 5, well, look, when he had finished speaking, that's Jesus. He said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Again, Peter, this is all he does. This is all he knows. Fishing all night. Simon answered though, check this out. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so. That'll pre I would, you just took the words right out of my mouth. That's another wholesome. A follower of Jesus says what? Because you say so. It don't make any sense to me. I know, Jesus says. But if you do something because it makes sense to you, you're the authority. Right? I don't feel like doing it, though. I know. But if you do that, you're the authority. And following me requires you doing something that doesn't make any sense to you. That doesn't look wise. Although it is. You obey simply because he says what? Because you say so. When's the last time you... What does this look like? Here's the conversation that I had. This might look like this. As a white Christian, I don't want to think critically about privilege and journey to uncomfortable spaces where I am a minority. But what? Say it with me. But because you say so. I don't want to serve among the most broken and destitute because it makes me uncomfortable. Say it with me. But because 
you say so. I don't want to welcome the stranger and be hospitable. But because you say so. I don't want to join a life group. I want my privacy. But because you say so. I don't want to give away 20, 30% of my income. But because, say it with me, come on. You say so. I don't want to break up with her. I don't want to move out. But what? Because you say so. I don't want to leave this lucrative career that I've worked on. But what? Because you say so. I don't want to, I don't want to confess my secret sin. But because you say so. I don't want to adopt. I don't want to be a foster parent. But because you say so. I don't want to walk across the street and introduce myself to my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. But say it with me. But because you say so. When is the last time? But because you say so caused you to go, I don't know if I want to follow him. Here are two questions that I have wrestled with in terms of what it means to give him my will. First is this, am I willing to obey everything that God says regardless of how I feel? Am I willing to do everything God says regardless of how I feel? Secondly, am I willing to thank God or trust God for whatever happens, whether I understand it. Because you say so. The third incredible thing, of course, is that she wiped it with her hair. In order to wipe his feet with her hair, she had to let her hair down in public and letting your hair down in public in that culture and time was absolutely scandalous and absolutely no no the rabbi said if a married woman let her hair down in public it was ground for divorce why was it so scandalous because letting down your hair was an act of deep intimacy Letting down your hair was a way that you said to another, I am opening myself up to you in vulnerability. I am giving myself wholly to the one that I love. And Mary does this, not in the privacy of her own home, but in public, knowing that she's breaking all kinds of cultural norms. If she could, she would have sung, Take my love, my Lord, I pour At thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only what? All for thee. Following Jesus means giving him all that you not just have, not all of your will, but all that you are. Mary says, I'm not just giving you everything that I have, Jesus. I'm giving you everything that I am. I'm not just giving up my things. I'm not just giving up my will, but I'm giving you my heart. Real simple, real simple. I won't be long with this. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And no, 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 I'm not asking that question like, is, is, he, is he like guilty? No, 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 I'm saying, do you love, I'm not asking, are you serving him? I'm not asking, do you love the mission of Jesus? 
I'm asking, do you love? If people said something about you, would they say before anything else, Peter loves Jesus? Not Peter's a good pastor. Not Peter. Peter loves Jesus. It's the thing that's forefront on your mind. Do you love? Do you love? Do you, do you know why I say this? I say this because I'm realizing that everything that I do can oftentimes be out of anything else but deep love and affection for Jesus. Can anybody relate? I could be really good at being busy, serving, ministry, meeting. I could do all kinds of things, but I'm realizing more and more that if what I do for him is not out of an overflow of a heart that's been captivated by Jesus, it's all for nothing. Why does Jesus commend Mary sitting at his feet in Luke 10 and not commend Mary serving? Because serving is important? No, Jesus is saying, I want your serving to be an overflow of your love for me. Do you love Jesus? I know it sounds like such a silly question. We're sitting in church worshiping Jesus. But do you love, do you love, do you love Jesus? Scandalously, extravagantly, radically, do you love, love Jesus? And here's the thing that I know about loving someone. Love, if it's sincere and authentic, is unconditional. If you put any conditions to love, it's something else, but it's not love. How do you know if you love Jesus? You will obey him unconditionally. You cannot read the Gospels and not come across the number of times he says, if you obey me, you will love me. If you obey me, you will love me. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, is there any conditions to your obedience? I love you if... I'll serve you if, I'll worship you if. Because if you do, Jesus says, whatever is on the other side of that if, that's what you really love. Do you love Jesus? A core part of our mission is to passionately love. Do you love him? Do you love him? And what John does beautifully is he contrasts, of course, the worship devotion of Mary to somebody else that tells you there are only two options when it comes to Jesus. Verse 4, when one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth the year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Why does Jesus, John leave everybody else out? Is everybody else is thinking the same thing, but why does he focus in on what Judas says? because John is basically putting down the gauntlet and saying there's only two options when it comes to Jesus. You could either use Jesus or you could be used by Jesus. You could either sell Jesus or you could be sold out to Jesus. There is no in-between. Which will it be? And he's sitting there going, Peter, that's harsh. I don't, I don't use Jesus. Let me just say something. There are some of you who walked in here this morning and you walked in saying, I don't know if I want to be a, I don't know if I want to follow Jesus because this ain't working for me. I've said this for 17 years. Jesus, following Jesus will only work for you if you love him, serve him, worship him, whether he works for you or not. Bro, come 
Let me say that again. I'm thinking about chucking the whole thing. I don't know if I want to be a Christian. I don't know if I follow him. Following Jesus will only work for you if you worship him, love him, serve him, whether he works for you. And well, I don't want to follow him. Then when you say that, you show that you are never following him in the first place. You followed him for what he did for you. You followed him for what you got from him. You followed him as long as he came through. You're not following him. And Jesus says, come and love me for me. You guys, this is common sense. Don't you want somebody to love you for you? Do you and I not want somebody to come and say, I love you for you, not what you do? Now, I love you for you. And Jesus says, come love me for me. Come serve me for me. Come worship me for me. And when you do, you will find the significance, life, joy, peace that you're looking for. Do you love him for him? Do I follow him for him? For him? For him? Are you following Jesus for your sake or his sake? Are you using Jesus for your goals? Are you letting Jesus use you to get to his goals? Do you worship him for who he is in himself or for what you get out of it? Follow him for him. I love him for him. Where do you get the power to do that? CC, please come on up. Verse seven, leave her alone, Jesus replied. In response to Mary's public act of devotion, Jesus immediately public affirms her. Can you imagine what that meant for Mary? I love this. Can you imagine what that meant for Mary? Mary puts her neck out to do this incredible thing publicly and Jesus publicly affirms her and says, shut the heck up. Leave her alone. And Jesus is constantly saying in the gospels, the marginalized, the weak, the unimportant of the society, they get it. They get it first. They do. And then he says, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus is saying, Mary is doing this. Listen, listen. Mary is, Mary is doing this. Mary is doing this because she knows what I'm about to do on the cross. To the question, how did Mary know and everybody miss it? How did Mary know and everybody miss it? I'll tell you why. Where is Mary every time you see her in the Gospels? She's where? She's sitting at his feet. Every time you see Mary, she is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Doing what? Listening, learning, paying attention. She's being a disciple. You want to picture discipleship? Here it is. I am sitting at his feet at always. I'm listening to you, G. I'm paying attention to you. I'm, I'm, I'm checking with you. I'm checking with you. And as a result, listen to this. As a result, listen to this. And she doesn't say this in the gospels, but I can see her saying it. As a result of doing that, she's literally saying to Jesus, Jesus, I realized that the only way that you were able to stop my brother's funeral was to cause your own. He did that. I realized that the only way that you were going to bring him back to life was to cause your own death. I realize now the only way that we will be raised to life at the resurrection is for you to be buried. I see. I see. 
I see, I see, Jesus, what you're doing, what you've given to me, what you have given to me. Following Jesus means seeing all that is given to me. You know what Mary sees? Mary sees Jesus on the cross. Psalm 24, 22 verse 14, he cries out. It's a messianic psalm. I am being what? Poured out. I am being what? Poured out. I am being poured out. And Mary says, I see you pouring yourself out. What can I do but to pour what? Myself out. <sighs> the extravagance of Jesus' love for her has broken her and she sees she sees she sees his body being broken she sees his blood being shed and I love this I don't normally quote King James but I love this about King James Romans 12 1 therefore offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God the King James says and this is your reasonable act of worship in light of all that he did it's not radical it's not, whoa, unbelievable. Pouring yourself out is only what? Reasonable. How could you not? After what he's done for you. How could you not? And if Mary could, she would have sang, Were the whole realm of nature mine That were a present far too small Love, so amazing. Love, so amazing, so divine. It demands, say with me, my soul, my soul. God, I could only talk. I can't change anyone's heart. I can't convict anybody. I can't, I can't cause someone out there to see the beauty of your life being poured out. I can't cause anyone to get excited and be transformed. It's your work, Holy Spirit. So right now, I just simply ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to see the beauty, the absolute beauty and wonder of your sacrifice. Because when we do, the only reasonable thing is to say, here I am, all that I have, all that I am, I'm yours. So do that, we pray.